This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. What's going on, Bible nerds? We're talking about Paul, his shipwreck, and the whole shebang. So let's take a closer look. Well, actually, we're not going to cover a shipwreck yet. Oh, we're just talking about the storm? We're just talking about the storm. Oh. Well, because, you know, the storm is its own journey. I mean, yeah, On its fair. way to the crash. Right? Yeah, yeah, fair, I fair. mean, and so you want to look at Paul at every turn. And the end of this section about the storm... Paul has a very important moment, um, and we learn a lot about Paul's living conditions through this section about the storm, but at the very end, right before the shipwreck, Paul has a moment um, with these people that I think is very, very important to understand who the person of Paul is in these times. Mm-hmm. Um because if we're honest with ourselves, what Luke is doing is Luke is making, Luke took historical events, and for sure, these are all historical. I believe that. But Luke wrote this in such a way that it went from like an institution to an individual named Paul, and Paul becomes a type he is what every person should be doing now, taking this message to the Gentiles, mm-hmm. to anyone who will hear. And so Paul becomes this like typology type character for the second half of the story of Acts. And as Paul is this kind of type, we should be interested at Paul at how Paul conducts himself at every turn. That is the way we like receive the truth of Paul and Paul's life and what it means and like why we should take Paul seriously when he says, imitate me for I imitate Christ. Sure. Um, and I think the very end of this section, uh, he has a, a scene there where it's very clear that he is about imitating Christ and that's the way Luke's presenting him. So Clayton, tell me about sea storms. Oh man, um, chaotic, okay, dangerous, very dangerous, especially in the ancient world. Mm-hmm. Um, in that day and age, um, a storm like that more than likely means you die or are lost somewhere, mm-hmm. like out in the middle of nowhere. Yep, where you end up dying anyways. Yep. Well, um, it's also primitive sailing. Yeah. They don't have motors. Nope. The best they got are sails. Um, and even the technology on that is not great nope. during that time. Um, and so it's not the easiest world to navigate. No, nah, it's not. Um, and so with all of those caveats and disclaimers... Let's see what it was like traveling in the ancient world by sea in a storm. Acts 27, starting in verse 13. When a moderate south wind began to blow, they thought they could achieve their purpose. So they weighed anchor and began to sail past Crete, close to the shore. 
But soon a violent wind called the Northeaster rushed down from Crete. Clayton, why would they name a wind? To talk about the direction it's coming from? Well, you would do that by saying it's a moderate south wind, right? Mm-hmm. So that's how you would say direction. Why would you name a wind? Why do you name oh, things? Oh, because it has, it, they personified it. They personified the, the wind. Well, it's not that they're personifying it, but they are, like, it is notable. Mm-hmm. You name things that are notable. Heard. Right? And so what would a wind in the middle of the sea be known for? Hurricane? Storms and shipwrecks, right? Yeah. It can only be known for devastation. Yeah. So Northeaster is not a good thing. Mm-hmm. If you're out here and people start talking about the Northeaster, you're like, oh, man. You name things that are notable to you. Sure. And it's a violent wind. Verse 15. Since the ship was caught and could not be turned head on into the wind, we gave way to it and were driven. This is what I mean about primitive sailing, right? Mm -hmm. We have a lot of technology about fulcrum points and the way in which we can move sails around very quickly to do different things and adjust. Lots of those things don't exist in first century Rome Mm -hmm. and like parts of the Roman Empire and the ships that they would contract. That kind of technology doesn't arise. Um, And so, yeah, like you're kind of at the mercy of the wind for a lot of your travels. And this is what we see. We gave way to it and we're driven by running under the, the lee of a small island called Cauda. We were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. After hoisting it up, they took measures to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run on the Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and so were driven. We were being pounded by the storm so violently that on the next day, they began to throw the cargo overboard. And on the third day, with their own hands, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest raged, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Clayton, what do you hear about what that situation's like? What are the, some of the things you noticed and picked up on? They are in this storm for days. Multiple days. They are following. So the, the storm picked them up and they're following it. Um, so as it's moving, as it's they're going. going with it. They are following. Um, and then they could not control the boat. So they start getting rid of stuff. Why? Why would you do that? Why would you make that decision to get rid of supplies and goods and cargo in the middle of a storm? To make it less heavy. Yeah. Trying um, to get weighed out. So they're they're ditching stuff to make the boat less heavy, which I don't actually understand because if you, if you take weight off of it in heavy winds, you're just moving with the wind faster. And if you get like the... The logistics of that doesn't really work as well. Well, you're not being beat up by the water waves because you're not so far deep. I, I guess that's true. Your buoyancy is you're you're sitting higher in the water, and so the less weight, the higher up you get. Hopefully, the more you can kind of ride the waves. I guess that does make sense. Um, 
And they eventually got to a point like, yep, we're lost. We're dead out here. Um, they have given up because they have nothing left and they're in the middle of the ocean following a storm. Yes, all of that. But I got one thing I want to add that you didn't quite catch <clears throat> or didn't note. Maybe I should say. Verse 20. When neither sun nor stars had appeared for many days. Clayton, you lived in Belgium for a hot minute. Ah, uh, depression rampant. You don't get vitamin D for a hot minute. You depressed. Why? Well, like, okay, so tell me about tell me about why <laughs> it's depressing in Belgium. <laughs> Cuz the sun doesn't come out for days, man. You might get one day a week with the sun in certain times of the year. Um it's rough. One of the highest suicide rates in all of the EU um, is in Belgium because the sun just does not come out, or at least it used to be. Clarification. It used to be. It may not be anymore. At the time that I was living there, it was the highest in the EU. Um, and there's some scientific reasons behind that. Um, but largely, it's just because you don't get sun, and when you don't get sun... You get sad, and then the rest of the story tells itself. Well, and y'all felt that way in 21st century, third world country, or first world country, Belgium, mm -hmm. um, in like nice luxury apartments and elevators and, yeah, money to have good food and things like that. Yep. These guys are in a rickety old wooden ship. Getting beat up by the waves and the storm. And they have no idea where they are. And they can't see. Because, Clayton, this is the other thing I want to ask you. In those times, could you see the stars? Sometimes. Sometimes. Well, no, you're I mean, also in a city. We were also in a city. But, so the so lights like, are covering the yeah, stars. Yeah, if the lights weren't there, yeah, we would have been able to see stars. So but, you at least get some beauty out of being able to see the night lights. Yeah. They can't even see the damn stars, Clayton. Yeah. They can't tell how many days they've been in here because it's just chaotic storms. And at this time, light pollution is a thing they don't even know. They're used to seeing beautiful nights. Yep. All the time. And they're throwing, they're in the middle of this and having to make the choice to throw cargo overboard yeah. in an attempt to save their lives. That's rough. Now, remember, at last week, Paul told them that this is what he feared if they chose to sail, and they did it anyways. So let's see what happens. 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul then stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete, and thereby avoided this damage and loss. I urge you now to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. 
For last night there stood by me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before the emperor. And indeed, God has granted safety to all those who are sailing with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we will have to run aground on some island. So Paul stands up. And he says, um, you idiots. You should have listened to me, bro. Yeah. First and foremost, you should have listened to me. And now here you are, and you hadn't eaten in many days. How's that feel? But fear not, my God is going to pull this off. Yeah. Paul, quite the man of theatrics. Um, Paul's like, I got you, homie. God got a plan for me, which keeps all y'all safe. Kind of, kind of a pompous way to do it. But that's what he says. He's like, hey, God told me that I've got to do this. Now, Paul's the hero of the story of Acts, right? Sure. He's the like premier character of the book. And so it makes sense that he would have this like mo like this savior moment, right? Where it's like, hey, God is at work in me, and I have a duty to do this. And so we're all going to be safe, but we're probably going to lose the ship. Mm-hmm. Then verse 27. When the 14th night had come, two weeks, two weeks in this storm, and at day three slash four, we're talking about not eating in a long time. Yeah. Now we're on the 14th night. As we were drifting across the Sea of Adria, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took surroundings and found 20 fathoms a little farther on. They took soundings again and found 15 fathoms. Fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. But when the sailors tried to escape from the ship and had lowered the boat into the sea on the pretext of putting out anchors for the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the boat and set it adrift. So now we got a shift happening. Now these fools believe Paul. Yeah. And they stop and pray with Paul. The storm will often create people of faith. Mm-hmm. In moments of chaos and uncertainty and unknowns and darkness and depression, the storm will often create people of faith. Yeah. Um, because it's in those moments where you realize that, yes, absolutely, there are things bigger than myself. Um, and so you look to hope. Sure. And you find something bigger than yourself. Paul hopes to be the person standing in the way to be that voice for you, to point you in the right direction for the hope you're looking for. And so Paul does it artfully so, and they begin to listen to him. And then... Paul has this premiere scene. This is the one we've been building to. 
Beginning of verse 33. Just before daybreak, Paul urged all of them to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have been in suspense and remaining without food, having eaten nothing. Have not eaten in two weeks. You're getting to a real dangerous place. You also probably haven't drank water in two weeks. Or at least not like... Not a lot, I'm sure. Yeah. They would be dead if they drank no water. Right. But um, like, but they, I imagine it's limited. They are drinking very little water. And you're also probably drinking salt water. Which... and Or at least a little bit of it. Because it's mixing with your, your clean water. You're dehydrating really fast. And they're probably sitting in their own shit because they're prisoners. Mm. The text will go on and tell us in verse 37 that there are 270 people on this ship. It is probably very similar to what you were told in school what a slave ship looked like. And yes, they are probably standing and sitting in their own excrements. Yeah. That is the life that Paul has found himself in 14 weeks. In a violent storm where you're probably rolling around in it as you got to try to find a way to sleep because it's not staying in an isolated area. Yeah. Right? You're shitting on the floor and you're in a violent storm where it just goes where it goes. And you're dehydrated. And you're not eating. So you're not shitting a lot. Yeah. But your body still has waste that it creates. Fourteen days. Therefore, verse 34. Therefore, I urge you to take some food. For it will help you survive. For none of you will lose a hair from your heads. After he had said this, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then all of them were encouraged and took food for themselves. That scene, right there. We often find Jesus associated with some of his best miracles and moments. In that same formula of he took, he blessed, he broke, he gave, they ate. And it always ends something like this. Verse 38. After they had satisfied their hunger. What happens when you eat, Clayton? Get satisfied. You meet a need. Yeah. Verse 36, then all of them were encouraged and took food for themselves, and they satisfied their hunger. Um, unfortunately, I think our modern world has made us forget a lot of simple pleasures in life. One of them being the power of a good meal. Mm. 
Um, you know, I often find myself reflecting on this because I live this strange life of existing in between. You know, there's this great song by who's that? Scotty McCreary. Yeah. In between. I live a life that is in between. Um, we grew up very country and I'm country to my core. Uh, I drive a pickup truck. Like I am country to my core. Um, but I do a lot of city business and I am well-educated and I am more left-leaning than hell, even center. If I'm being honest, like, yeah, I am definitely have lots of urban in me as well. And because of that, I get to watch and exist in two very different worlds, an urban world that is fast paced and all about hyper productivity and efficiency. And everything is utilitarian except party time. And then I live in a world of a very simple country life where it's not fast-paced. Everybody's kind of going at the speed of their own drum, doing their own thing. And the thing that is always consistent is they eat good and they eat at home and they pray for their meals and they take and they break and they bless and they give. There's something about a simple life in this modern world, something about a simple life of faith, one that remembers the power of good meals, good food, because Jesus often is found doing this same thing. Do you remember when he feeds the 5,000? 5,000 men? He took, he blessed, he broke, and he gave. It's the same formula that always is introducing food narratives in the New Testament, and it's used here, but it's used in a different order. Notice taking is not used until the end. Luke's flipped the form. Yeah. Paul is encouraging people in the middle of a storm in a place where they are literally afraid for their lives. And Paul's extension to them is a hot meal. Maybe not hot. It's probably not hot. But food, bread. Something to eat. Something to eat. Um, because your body is wired for survival. And if you are in fear of your life, the best thing someone can give you is something to continue your life. Um, there's a certain unique beauty to the truth that food is a blessing in a divine moment. Um, so much of the ancient Jewish world was invested in their food. You know, they have their entire faith religion built around four unique festivals and then some other festivals like Purim and some other things. Purim is like a wine festival. Everybody just yeah. drinks a bunch of wine and celebrates. Um, yeah, like food was such a divine piece of their culture um, and an enjoyment. And unfortunately, I think we've lost, lost that here um, because here's what I know. We all live fighting a storm. Mm. And sometimes a good meal has to be enough to encourage us. And so Paul reminds us that it is.